There it is. David, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Good. Well, so glad to be here with you all. Um, you know, I uh, go back with um, Christ Church uh, for many years, even as a kid with uh, the Murrays and all. Of, I mean, like this is, you know, a big fan of, uh, and um, extended family member for of um, the church. And so just thanks so much for uh, having me here. Um you know, I, I've organized my thoughts around this theme of uh, reconciling communities and apologetic of hope, um, and apologetic of hope. And so, what I, what I love to do is, I'm gonna just um, share my screen and talk through this uh, uh, conversation. Um, so, there's a study that was out, and it's really fascinating that um, it was a study on people and how they dream and what kind of images that they have. And uh, folks who were like watching TV in the 1930s and 40s, um, they would dream in black and white. They would like see in color and then they would, at night when they would dream, they would dream in black and white. And when I heard about this study, uh, it was really fascinating because uh, when they were, you know, in their formative years, 10 teenager years, the childhood years, the teenage years, um, that's when their imagination was being shaped. And it really was really fascinating to me because it really speaks to how our imagination is often shaped by the screens. And when you think about... Um, political issues or even uh, like racial issues is oftentimes shaped by imagination. That's the screen. Um, either you can uh, engage in racial issues uh, by either being anti-racist or you could be anti-woke. And those are the only two choices that you have is either be anti-racist or anti-woke. And I would love to spend some time looking at a theme that, I think Jesus gave around imagination where he says, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children. Oh, they will be for they will be the children of God. I am an old Testament memorizing scripture person. So sometimes I can't <laughs> even read what's on the page, but, um, but you know, this is really interesting because what, what Jesus speaks to us is that peacemaking is not a nice to have, but it is actually an identifying marker. And so uh, in many ways, um, it's like this. I am the child of Emmett and Brenda Bailey. And when I was growing up as a child, they were the ones that determined how the Baileys behave and what is normative for the Baileys and what's the standard and, and and what's the identity of the Baileys. And in many ways, Jesus is saying that the identity of my father's house as the people of God is that you all should be known for making peace in the midst of conflict, that you all should be a community of peacemakers and not people that are known for being culture warriors. Now, that might be a little challenging but like there was this study that came out um, with the Barna group 
it was found in this book called Unchristian, and they just did a lot of research on people who were um, Christians and, and I mean, people who were not Christians. And they asked, hey, what are Christians known for? And they were known for what we were against and our political affiliation of what we're for. And that has that that type of ideology and that type of brand has increased over and over and over um, the years. And I think there's a question that we have to ask ourselves, like, how much are we really following Jesus when we don't know aren't known as being peacemakers? And so I want to read this definition that we have at Airbound. We talk about a reconciling community because you'll hear me speak about this theme. And what we see is a reconciling community is a people linked by a common purpose and rhythm of life together who acknowledges the death of brokenness in our world and actively receives an invitation from God to heal the brokenness of our world holistically from the inside out. Now, here's the thing. What, what It's important to understand that a community is basically people, a group of people linked by a common rhythm, purpose, and rhythm of life together. That's just a community in general. But this between a community and a reconciled community is that we acknowledge the depth of brokenness in our world. And this is like to be Christian by definition. It's not just to be Christian is to only see the brokenness of our own personal sin, but to realize that we are in a sinful world. Uh, when folks ask me, hey, David, do you believe in systemic racism? You know, I'm like, well, I mean, it depends on, do you see racism as sin? Yeah, okay. Do you believe sin is also systemic? <laughs> yeah, definitely, right? Like, these are things that, like, all of these things are, like, sin, and, like, there is brokenness in our world ever since Genesis 3, there has been brokenness in our world that's related to our relationship with God, to one another, to creation, which is a system, it's an ecology, and also with ourselves. And so there is all types of reconciliation that needs to happen that Christ is in the work of reconciling all things. And so it's important for us to actively receive the invitation from God to heal that brokenness. And this is what's so important about Christian spirituality. Christian spirituality is not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Oftentimes, like if I have a problem and say Kevin and I have a problem, I can't be like, well, man, if Kevin just gets himself together, then, then you know, the relationship will be fine. Kevin's a really great saint anyway, so it's a bad example. Most likely the problem is going to be with me anyway. But the reality of it is, is that we all are people who not only acknowledge brokenness out there, but there's also the brokenness that's going on inside here. And so when we receive an invitation from God or we see something that is broken, it is very similar to that hymn that says, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Transformation happens from the inside out. And I think that that is a breath of fresh air as we work on the brokenness that's going on that we see in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our state, in our country, on the internet. If we could understand that transformation happens holistically from the inside out, 
there's a way that we position ourselves to be used by God in a way that is distinct from those who don't follow Jesus. Now, this is about hope. And I love to tell you a story about a young lady who I'll call Dakota. I actually met this young lady. Um, I was at a conference in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was a conference um, for young people um, who were indigenous people, natives, uh, folks um, who were natives all around uh, the world, particularly in North America. Some people even came all the way from Australia. It was called "With Jesus He Fry Bread," and what the reason for the conference was, it was because indigenous people had this challenge where there's this missionary legacy um, where they used to say, kill the Indian in order to save the man. Kill the Indian in order to save the man. In essence, what the message was, was that, you know, you have to change your like identity as um, an ethnic indigenous person and become more European in order to be a follower of Jesus. And so this conference was really trying to help indigenous people understand Jesus within their native context. Dakota, we were sitting together during the mealtime. I was one of the few non-indigenous people that got invited to be part of this conference. And she says, you know, hi, are you a minister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we just got to talking and she said, Hey, I have, I just struggle with like, I'm really interested in Jesus, but I just got a lot of questions about the Bible and Jesus and Christianity. Um, because like, particularly I, I just don't know how to deal with Jesus and also be, um, a native, follow Jesus and also be a native. And I just got a lot of questions about God's heart for like justice. And, and I got a chance to just open up the scriptures and talk with her about this way in a way that wasn't about killing the Indian in order to save the man, or that was a type of Christianity that was so informed and, and made excuses um, for the colonial uh, manifest destiny legacy. That was such a really um, barrier to the gospel for her. And, this was the first time I actually experienced something like that. And then this kind of ra raised me the question of like, why are Christians oftentimes like in Christian communities, like not great at addressing these type of things. And I love to just talk about five misplaced emphasis that works. Um, like why Christians are not oftentimes great at these particular uh, conversations and being a witness within this space. And as I, uh, I'll share this vision and explain this, and we'll turn around and see maybe what could be some hope and, and what can happen out of that. Um, an emphasis is number one on shame over hope. There tends to be a sh an emphasis on shame over hope. I don't know if you remember 2020, you know, where we're all in our house and we just saw in the summer of 2020 because of the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. There was just a lot of um, racial upheaval that happened. And there was a lot of people really upset, very frustrated. And angry. and so you might say, hey, what can what can I do as like, what's what's like, tell me, I understand as a white guy, what, what should I do? And sometimes the response was just don't be 
a rich white person. They said, okay, okay, well, all right, uh, you know, I understand that. It's like, I mean, may, I maybe may or may not be rich, but like, I can even change that, but I can't change being white. Well, it's just like, well, just don't be, yeah, just don't be white. White people are the problem. And then my friend, like, who was like on, uh, uh, he was like, sometimes like on Twitter, you would see white people shut up and listen, you know, and then on the, on the, on the same chain on Twitter would say, uh, white people, um, your silence is violence. You know, you're like, what the world do I do? And oftentimes in the midst of people's anger, oftentimes with people who deal with issues of race, they oftentimes can use shame as a motivator instead of hope. And shame is something that you might get a reaction to, but it's not a long-term strategy. And actually, shame is actually a really bad strategy when it comes to, like, spiritual formation or transformation. And so we don't want to do shame over hope. We want to do hope over shame. Emphasis on information over formation. So folks say like, hey, do the work. And oftentimes do the work means read a bunch of books. And I am a person that loves to read books. I have a lot of books behind me. And, you know, uh, but there's this presupposition that information alone leads to transformation. But information doesn't lead to transformation. Uh, we need to be thinking about, hey, how have we been formed? How have we been deformed? How have we been malformed? How do we need to be reformed? How can we do we need to be spiritually formed? There's a there's a deeper level of engaging and understanding the world that is de deeper than information alone. What I want to say is like, yeah, definitely read the books, but really deeper think through and experience like, how can we do formation over information instead of information over formation? Then there's emphasis on theory over practice. You know, so many conversations around race, um, diversity um, is really shaped by the academy, by the university. And, and, and like any academy, there are two ways, like the academy is a place of theory. And so there's two ways to go about understanding theory. One is, um, they'll take a look at, hey, what are some of the best practices going on? Who are people doing it? If they have a question, they say like, hey, who is actually doing the thing that we want to learn about? And when folks engage and they go and they they look, they have a question like, hey, who's addressing issues of race and 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 it's addressing racial brokenness within the community or who's addressing like class differences and issues then they all go and study that that they should be able to go to most of our churches to figure out how to do this or uh or it should be normative in our churches that cross political lines racial lines ethnic lines uh class lines education lines but what's unfortunate is is that many of our churches reflect a certain education level or reflect uh, a, 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 a homogeneity around education, class, race, ethnicity, politics. And so the academy can't really look and do observational studies about what are the best practices. So when they don't have that, then what they do is they develop hypotheses and theories. And you have things like anti-racism, white fragility, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, critical race theory. And these are things of like ways that 
I would impose some academic, uh, uh, um, some Christian language into this academic space where they're trying to figure out how do I do, how do I address sin? How do I address the power and the effects of sin over centuries? And even though laws were changed, how do we address some of the, the consequences of sin over centuries? And they develop these theories. And a big challenge, particularly in the church right now, is, is that either one, we are in a community practice, and so then we like get things from the academy, and sometimes we can take stuff from the academy and not necessarily filter it through a kingdom biblical perspective. But then the other side to it is that we can, other folks can just reject it wholesale because it doesn't come from the church. It just comes from the academy. And they say, well, this is this is not, this isn't from a Christian perspective. And so we should just reject everything. And I think there's a thing called discernment that we really should engage in to see. But even deeper than discernment, as we read these things um, and engage them, ultimately, we might say, hey, I don't want to deal with like, White, uh, white fragility or anti-racism. I don't feel like this has a holistic perspective or I agree with this or disagree with that. At the end of the day, the thing that what, what, what the Lord wants us to work on is how do we be a community of practice instead of only a community of theory? The fourth is the emphasis on individual over the community. I don't know if you've been a part of this conversation about who's a racist and who's not. And this person's like, I'm not a racist. This person's racist. And, and and it tends to be the cyclical conversation about who's a racist, who's not. And I think there's a way to elevate the conversation, to understand that people form communities and communities form people. And so this emphasis of understanding that people form communities, communities form people, when you're a Christian community, you ought to be forming people into a reconciling community. And that is something that is Again, what Jesus has assigned to us to say, like, no matter what the issue is, if the issue is politics, race, class, education, NIMBY, not in my backyard, geographical divisions, there should be something different about the power of people of God or forming people into being uh, recon a reconciling community. And this goes to the fifth issue, an emphasis on partisanship over peacemaking. When we come to these conversations, there tends to be more political discipleship going on than biblical discipleship. When you say the word immigration, when you say the word um, Israel, Gaza, phrase Israel, Gaza, race, economics, there oftentimes tends to be a very well-formed thought that has not necessarily been shaped by the Bible, but has been shaped by a political imagination. And we oftentimes think that our particular political economic philosophy is the biblical worldview. But what happens is that we just picked a couple of verses to prove our point about our particular worldview. And so what ends up happening is people end up reading the scriptures through the lens of their Bible. I'm sorry, it's reading, we were saying, end up reading the scriptures, their politics, uh, 
apologies, I'll get this right. People often tend to yeah view their scriptures through the lens of their politics instead of the politics through the lens of the scriptures. And there is something about the kingdom of God that should break out of our political binaries that makes us to see something that is a third way that makes us love God, love our neighbors, depend on sacrificial love and the Holy Spirit. And I, I just, I put my cards on the table. I, I just don't think any political party is going to put that agenda on the table, because if that was the case, then there just wouldn't be any need for Jesus. And so I want to talk a little bit about hope, because like I, I want to tell you about this church in um, Chicago, Boulevard Presbyterian Church, where this pastor, um, you know, crossing class, crossing uh, racial lines in Chicago, being a community-based church, small little local church, they did some diversity, equity, inclusion work in there. Um, church, and it just caused a little bit of a challenge. It caused some hurt and, and some pain within that space. And we met one of the elders. They said, hey, we'd love to have Arabon kind of come in because y'all have a different approach. And it was amazing to see that all types of issues of brokenness that wasn't dealt with came up and they actually had tools to kind of work through these particular issues and learning how to be a reconciling community that had a vision that was beyond the checklist of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And there was a lot of hope and resurrection, not because of Arab buying per se, but it's really because of the gospel when you like are, are, are dealing with confession and sin and lament and you put that on the table where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, and it allows a room of the confession for healing to take place, for the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost to actually bring about transformation within the community. And this is what um, Jeff said. He said the training Arabon provides doesn't play according to the rules of left and right, woke and conservative. Arabon brought fresh language and a biblical perspective. This is the type of things that we need to have in our Christian community. So like I shared, Christian communities ought to be, ought to form people into a reconciling community. When Jesus died and well, before he died, he, he took bread and he took wine and he instant, he kind of transitioned past the Passover into this practice of communion. And he says, as often as you get together, take and eat all of it. Like, and I want you to, 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 to do this practice of communion as often as you all get together. Why? Because the practice of communion is a practice of reconciliation. It's reminding us of the deep brokenness that we had in our relationship with God and humanity. And even this self-examining process of, of, of taking communion before you take communion to look at how are things between myself and my brothers and sisters in this act of repentance and to understand that there is a healing dynamic that's happening in the act of communion because of Christ's broken body. Christ's broken body makes healing possible. And that is where we find our hope as Christians. 
This is a thing that is so important. And when that is transformed inside of us, then this we can spread that out to our neighbors and all the people who aren't following Jesus and all the type of brokenness, whether they follow Jesus or not, like that is not really their problem to solve. How we show up to love and to care and to be agents of transformation is our job and our business and the place where we find hope in the midst of divides. So I just want to come back to Dakota because here's what Dakota texted me about nine months of, after our interaction. She says, hey, David, it's Dakota, the curious lady about Christianity Bible, Bible from the conference. How are you doing? I hope all is well with you. I want to reach out and share this amazing news that I accepted Christ in my life last Sunday. Brothers and sisters, like this is one of the greatest apologetics of our day. Young people, we're hemorrhaging young people for two reasons. Uh, one, young people are asking questions of identity. Who am I? And asking questions of ethics. They aren't asking questions about epistemology like the way uh, young people were asking 40, 50 years ago. Epistemology means like, how do I know? How do I know this is true? And so so the kind of like uh, um, presuppositional apologetics meaning like what are the world views and how do i convince people to know people like that that, that they're wrong like they, they don't care how much we know until they know how much we care that is something that's happening with with uh, uh um, young folks and they want to know how do we care about issues of justice uh how do we care about like can you help me to understand my identity in a way that it's like, who am I? What, what's going on? And the communities that provide that information are the ones that they engage in. And this young lady says, hey, you know, you help me to understand my identity as an indigenous person that cares about that, that it cares about all people made in the image of God. And it's not just lip service. And you help me to understand that God cares about justice and ethics. And so... As I come to a close, I want to encourage us to have an imagination that's more than just black and white, that's more than just binary. But imagination of hope is an imagination that follows the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, that phrase, first of all, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, like your greatness, your name. I mean, these are so like imaginative words. Like it all starts with the greatness of a God that 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 created the world. And our good news starts that creation was, was holistically, it was in right order. It was beautiful. It was diverse. And that creation was uh, 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 all good. And it's the unity of diversity between the male and the female that brings the, the reflection of the image of God. That unity and diversity is that's where the good news starts with. The good news doesn't just start that we're sinners. The good news starts with creation. And then the world was broken 
And God has been the, the God that we are hollowing, the God that we are understanding, the character that we are honoring the name is a God. When brokenness happened, they said, hey, I'm going to be in the process of reconciling all things, not just some things, not just individuals, not just creation, not just the relationships with one another, the systems, the ecology, my relationship with you and and, and, and relationship with one another. That's the God that we're hollowing. And then when we say thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth is an imaginative act. In essence, the, the garden city of God, let that be what's happening in Richmond, Virginia. And not just only on the east end of Richmond, but also on the west end of Richmond, or, or, or not just on the north side of Richmond, on the south side of Richmond. And every city oftentimes has a divide where there is the wealthy part and the struggle bus part. And see, here's the thing. When we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, it is an imaginative prayer that we are being invited into to participate that the city of God that's in heaven will be the city of God in Richmond and all the other parts of the world. So when we talk about the kingdom come that we've done on earth is in heaven, I'd love for you to pray for your church. Pray for your city. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your family. And what I'd love for you to do is pray with an imagination that helps you to invite your five senses. Like if you were praying and let's, let's just, let's just take it within your church. What would you see differently as your church becomes more of a reconciling community? What would you smell? What, what, what kind of smells would you smell? If your community was more of a reconciling community. Who will you be touching? How will you be hugging? And when I mean touching, HR appropriate hugs and touches, you know, like those are really important, you know, but like it would be different kind of people than you probably are engaging with now. Some people might be dirty. Some people might not have taken a shower. Um, But can there be some beauty that comes out of that? type of things we'd be tasting? What kind of foods would you be tasting? Would you get a chance to experience a little bit of that foretaste of the kingdom of God as it relates to this great feast that we're going to happen where every tribe, every tongue, every language is bringing their dishes? What kind of sounds do you hear? Is it only English? Do you hear Sudanese? Do you hear Mandarin? Do you hear Cantonese? Do you hear Spanish? What's great is that when you pray that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as in heaven, and you began to like have an imagination, bring those senses into your imagination, bring those senses into your prayer life. And God will give you eyes to see things that you have never seen before. That has been the story um, of my life. As I see reconciling communities, it brings so much hope. As we share the good news about reconciling communities, we see so much hope. And I'll close on this last thought. It's important to remember that Jesus, while Jesus on earth did a lot of healing, 
did a lot of healing. And Jesus healed two types of um, diseases often. And one, it was blindness. And the other was leprosy. Blindness helps you to see things that you otherwise cannot see. And leprosy helps you to feel things that you would oftentimes not be able to see, to feel. And I think that God wants to do some work in the body of Christ for us to see others that we wouldn't normally see and to feel things from others that we wouldn't normally feel. And so this is an opportunity um, as again, reconciling Camille as an apologetic um, to have some Q and A.